I want to talk to you today about tipping points. Now, it seems that there's a lot of talk about um, what a tipping point means today without actually using that point, the, the word or the phrase. But a tipping point in physics is the point where an object is moved from a place that's resting and then it starts to move. So at that very last minute, so if you're moving a big boulder, when you lever it into the spot and it's just about to go, a tipping point is that spot just before it just goes. In sociology, a tipping point is an event which was previously rare, but after that event, something that was rare happens a lot. So it's like, you know, um, when Henry Ford built model T's or model A's, it was pretty rare to see a car, and then suddenly there became a lot of cars. Sociologically, a tipping point is something like that. Climatology, a tipping point is where a change becomes irreversible, or it's there's other uses of it. But but what I'm after today is this um, this point where a society where there's a change coming, and uh, after that nothing will be the same ever again. Um, it's pretty common. I want to talk to you about it. I want you to know that in some ways I'm feeling like I needed to interrupt the John here to do this sort of a, a corrective. I've spent a lot of time thinking about love on this, but uh, I need you to also know that God is not just after worshipers who love him. Oh, Make no mistake, he is after worshipers that love him, that his people would love, but without neglecting love, we should pay attention to this, a second thing, truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The way, loving, the truth, understanding. Together, they are life. To do this, though, I wanted to take you down an old recognizable story and twist it just a little bit so that we can see how common this sort of moment really is in our life. Imagine yourself, you're at this valley, um, hills on both sides, big enough for armies on either side, not hundreds, but thousands, thousands, a big army, and with a wide, flat area in the middle where a stream flowed. It's called the Valley of Elah, and where we're talking about is in 1 Samuel 17. There's a wide, flat area. The biblical imagery of this place is just, just stacked upon stacks, right? So it's two high places filled with people, two giant leaders. The first one has the people of Israel in it, and... That is Saul. Saul is a giant leader. In a lot of ways, he's a head and shoulders taller than everybody else around him. Look, he's also a giant in a lot of other ways. I just want to say this. Saul united people and founded a kingdom. There's really not that many people that have done that. He made, he created an army to protect that people. Um, he won battles for God. He was anointed. He, he there was times where he lay on the ground prophesying, and they actually said, is Saul a prophet too? Furthermore, yeah, filled with the Spirit, 
and he did, and he and he and he said unprecedented things, all with the spirit resting on him. He was everything to men today. People are seeking to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, able to do almost impossible things for God, a leader chosen by God with power from God. Saul was given authority that is God's alone in a lot of ways. He was God's anointed and many treated him that way. So did God. He was also eaten up with jealousy, capable of murder, and willing to live in spiritual darkness. All right there. That's a giant of a man. Okay, Goliath, on the other side of the army, is this seven or set all seven to nine feet of him, depending on how you do the measurements. Um, numbers are sort of tricky in the Bible. A whole head taller. So, so he's so he's there. He's the champion of the people, the greatest fighter of their army, thousands. That's a giant too. But in the Bible, there's all these high places where people tend to go and worship. And it talks a lot about getting rid of these high places. I just need you to know that there's this biblical thing here. And there's, there's Saul um, and Goliath. Saul, sort of cowering on one side and calculating his losses and, and trying to figure out how he can get out of this and still remain in charge and do all this stuff. He's sort of calculating and doing that. And the other one's blustering to cause weakness. Both of these are kind of the ways of the world. In places of worship, high worship, and they're up there, the two ways. So what are the other ways of the world that we're talking about here, right? That in some ways we have Saul who who's just trying to, you know, manage change and make sure that everybody likes him and all that stuff and and very political feeling on this one and the and the other side is a blustering person and right down in the middle of these two high places is is a brook a small stream a place that's life-giving right in the middle and no one's really claiming it right in between these two giants right between these two high places there's this place of life that no one will go and no one will fight it sounds a little bit like our today's political landscape a little bit. I want to say this too, that Israel had an amazing history where it had become a magnet to those who were downtrodden. Many of the earliest judges were not Hebrews themselves by blood, but had followed or joined on into the Exodus. Yes, believe it or not, not everybody that left Egypt was a, a, a descendant of Abraham by blood, but some were descended by faith from Abraham and they came in. But now they were at a tipping point. Would they continue to follow Saul's way, which consistently, even though he was God's anointed, consistently disregarded worship or didn't love God enough to love his ways? That's Saul's way. To, to not love God enough to follow his ways. That's partial obedience, right? Having the form of godliness, but denying the power 
of the godliness? Or would you surrender to Goliath's way, which is might makes right? It's having all trying to be godly in power, but not worshiping. So it's trying to use the power as well. So not having the form of godliness, but denying all the power, but trying to grasp all the power, but denying God. That's the Goliath way. To utterly, completely, entirely incorrect choices. And Israel's history was full of these sorts of things like this too. So we can, we can keep going in there, but I... I just want to continue talking about this for a second, just so you know. Work over worship to be a tool, or, or do you want to go back and accept Egypt and slavery again? That's that's did you slay? That's the end of what Saul's leadership would be, which is the form of godliness, but denying all the power. It sort of it sends you right back into Egypt. Look, if we just get along to go along, this will be okay. And the, to choose fear over obedience and character, to have violence be the reason we stop. Or, I'm sorry, or Saul's leadership. Or do we choose fear over obedience? So do we choose work and just sort of go along to get along over obedience? Or do we choose fear and character to have violence be the reason we stop? Do we choose Egypt or Assyria in the Israel history? Egypt enslaves everybody. Assyria destroys everybody to become a mob. That's what the thing is. So to be slaves or a mob, too utterly and completely um, ridiculous choices. It's kind of like in an American story, we're kind of right at this tipping point. This is the spot we're at. A tipping point is just at the spot where in the American Revolution, uh, just before that happened, uh, the King George instituted a new tax. We call that the tea tax and it caused the Tea Party, a place where choices have to be made. And this is, and, and, and it's never going to be the same. I need you to know that, that right at this tipping point in Israel's history, right at this tipping point in America's history, right in this tipping point in your history, God enters, uh, um, the American Revolution enters, and, and, and not to choose a new king, as some would have said, but an elected leader. Right in Israel's history, here comes David. He's the anti-Saul. He's very small. He's young. He's the anti-Goliath. No blasphemy, only worship. Insignificantly gathering stones at the brook, a stream of life, not cowering on a hilltop where work is worship. He's, he's down in the stream doing his work and worshiping God at the same time. You don't have a worship part of your life and a work part of your life that are wholly separated from each other. This, the Christian right, which emphasizes truth, does not have a corner on the godly way. Love the sinner, hate the sin has never worked beyond hating the vessel of the sinner. 
But the Christian left, which in- emphasizes that we just need to love somebody, doesn't corner the market either. Oh, just love them has never called anybody to repentance. You got to blow up in the truth. If you find yourself with yelling about truth all the time, you probably end up yelling at people all the time. If you find yourself, oh, just love them, you just end up giving and you burn out. But if you do love and truth together, you grow up. Anyway, let me read the text here. I've kind of gone on and on for this. Here's the text. Then we'll do some more. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight the Philistine. Saul answered, David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. And he's been at this fighting business since before you were born anyway. David said, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it and knock it down and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat and wring its neck. Can you imagine that? To kill a lion or a bear by wringing its neck and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of of God Almighty, God, who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear, will deliver me from this Philistine. Saul said, Go, and God help you. Then Saul outfitted David in a soldier, as a soldier in his armor. He put his bronze helmet on his head and a belt over him, and David tried to walk, but he was so small that he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it off. Then David took his shepherd's staff and selected five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his pocket on a shepherd's pack and with a sling in his hand approached Goliath. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his heel bearer in front of him, he noticed David and he took one look down on him and sneered, a mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach fuzz. That's how the message reads. Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he, and he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill out of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. David answered, You come at me with sword and spear and axe, and I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops, who you curse and mock, this very day God is hanging you, handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you, to cut off your head, and to serve up your body and the bodies of the Philistine buddies to the crows and coyotes. The whole earth will know that there is an extraordinary God in Israel, and everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by the sword or the spear. The battle belongs to God, and he's handing you to us on a platter. That roused the Philistine, and he started toward David. David took off from the front line, running toward the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed, face down in the dirt. God calls us to change, to not choose which of the world's ways, but to worship in truth and in spirit. 
separate them and only folly comes. Separate them and only folly comes. To choose the power uh, of godliness but deny to choose the form of godliness, but to deny the power, to choose the power, but to deny the God. Neither of those are things we get to do. We, as a church, need to be changed and live in this spot. We need to find our tipping point, not let the world find our tipping pot spot for, point for us. That's the problem with most of us, is we come into this spot and we just let the world choose. Have you ever heard this saying? Literally, if you don't know what you believe, somebody will tell you. I'm telling you that that's literally the truth, that if we don't find our own tipping point in life and that we find our life of faith, we find our life of worship, we find our life of joy, may we find our salvation and its joy in everything we do, in everything we go, that we would choose the valley and not the high places where all the power of our of our society seems to register, where there's blustering or there's blasphemy, where there's fear or cowering. None of those are acceptable choices. The third choice is to only choose right down in the middle and to find down into that valley where where life is, where David comes in the name of the Lord, not in the name of some other thing going on, but always focusing ourselves back on the Lord to, to remain in love with him, but to also know the truth of him so that we can give and share and work in our community, but also call to repentance, to not deny his work in us, nor his call to repentance in us. May we find this tipping point and, and come and choose the valley in the middle instead of those places with the two, with the two uh, giants standing over us, yelling and doing all that. We need to choose the third way, not the world's ways. We need to choose the life-giving water of our Lord and Savior Jesus not wait for the world to tell us what to do one way or the other. May you find your tipping point in the Lord. May you find your life in faith, in worship, and joy. May you find your salvation and its joy everywhere you are and in everything you do May you never be the same again. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray this, that we would love you, that we would come to you, that we would be changed. In your precious name, may we never be the same. Amen.